Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. The Daily Dollop podcast is proudly brought to you by The Capital Chemist, Australia's premium community pharmacy where loyalty matters. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to the very wise and knowledgeable Dr. Tim Crow, a career researcher and educator in the field of nutrition. We're discussing nutrition misinformation and myths and how you can make the right food choice for you. Here's part two. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's a great day on the podcast as I'm chatting to, in my mind, a nutrition great. I have Dr. Tim Crow on the show, whom I admire very much, and I was absolutely delighted when he agreed to be a guest. With that in mind and being in nutrition for as long as you have and obviously talking to so many different people, what is the craziest nutrition myth or piece of misinformation that you've come across in your career? It, it's a diet that's been around for ooh, maybe about over 20 years. It's called the Eat Right for Your Type Diet. Oh. It was based upon, depending on what your blood type is, yeah. you need, it's called the blood type diet, but it's, um, depending on what your blood type is, you need to follow a particular diet because of your ancestral roots. So if you have a A blood type, you need to follow, I think it's more of a, um, a, a vegetarian diet. If it's O, it's a very more low-carb diet. And if it's a B, it's more of a mixed diet. It's just crazy. It's pretty much all <laughs> made up. Made up, yeah. Millions, millions of copies. The research that has been done into it finds it's actually no, there's no link between them. Yes. You know, if people get any results on it, it's because of making dietary changes. And chimpanzees and, and, and apes, they have an ABO blood type too, but they all eat the same diet. We <laughs> yeah. eat a variety of, of food. So it's just crazy, but it, it sells well. And why it sells is because it gives you a prescription. Mm. Is your blood type, you need to eat these foods. Oh, well, great, a list. I'll follow the list. What happens when you follow a list with um, regimented extractions? Well, generally, you're probably focusing on eating healthier and you may lose weight because you're not eating you know, as much junk food. That's how it works. But the premise for it is pretty much made up and yet it sold millions of copies. So if you can use science for good or for evil in nutrition, <laughs> and that's that's a good example. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's It wasn't until I did my postgrad where I did more biochemistry and sort of pathology and, and being taught and by you in diet disease that when we're sort of making a link between a dietary pattern and a disease that there's sort of we need to be able to have a theory about how it's mediated, like what's the pathway. Correct. And trying to explain that to a client, well, this, this diet is not giving any kind of solid story of how XYZ shake is detoxing your system, like what's, <laughs> what's the toxin? What's the metabolic pathway they're using? You know, I was like when they're really yeah. vague and they're just throwing in sciencey words, I was like that's a pretty big red flag. But on that, you know, is what are the what are the common myths that pop up for you sort of time and time again? And do you also, I'm curious, this is the second part to this question, find that students, are you still teaching? I so I do a little bit of teaching yeah. into several several universities, but but I'm more just guest spots. You know, come in and do a yeah. bit, of, bit of stats, bit of a stats bomb. Yeah, um, I bit love of, that. Bit of, bit of media training work. Yeah, not 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 just the core nutrition one one. Yeah. So what are the myths that pop up for you, sort of time and time again, that you feel like you're constantly debunking when you're talking to the media or you know different people? So probably the ones I come across a lot over the years that 
people still get surprised about when I talk about them. So to me, they're just like, you know, old hat. They've been around for years. Mm. Um, sugar causing hyperactivity in kids, you know, that, and sugar's got nothing to do with hyperactivity. But but when kids eat sugar, typically it's in a context of, you know, games and other kids and parties and so on. So they run around. And there's been over 16 randomised controlled trials show that the, the culprit for sugar causing hyperactivity is the observer. So if parents think their kid has children has um had sugar, even if it's a non-sugar substitute, they will rate their child's behaviour as more hyperactive. So that's an observer effect. Yes, interesting. So yeah, so there's lots of reasons for kids not to have sugar, but that's that's a big one. Yeah. Um, fresh, fresh and frozen. People think, oh, you've got to have fresh is best. Overall, frozen vegetables, even canned, are just as good, if not better in some cases, than fresh. Have fresh if you like it, but what we consider fresh is has been stored for some period of time and maybe set it on the um, supermarket shelf for some days before you get it. Mm. Then it sits in your fridge for a while, whereas frozen has been processed and snap frozen within 48 hours of picking, and that's nutritionally just as good and convenient. Mm. So that's why the best thing about frozen, it's convenient. Um, other one, negative calorie foods, always a perennial issue. <laughs> I love, uh, yes. yes you, can, you can eat yourself thin by eating celery. Uh, celery, no, it's yes. Calorie food. It's a very, very low calorie food, but it's not negative. But the reason why you lose weight is because you're eating celery and not eating pies. Well, guess what? <laughs> you lose Anyway, that's a good one. And- I 100% believe that one, Tim. Yep. I remember hearing it in high school. My friend loves celery and she's like, do you know that celery is a negative calorie food? And I was just like, cool. Yeah, and I believed right. that for years until I actually studied nutrition and I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense why that's not true. <laughs> So they're probably, you know, big, and there's lots of others I always talk about, but yeah. they're ones I like speaking about because it just helps, you know, you know, myth bust and, and also gives some people some good advice, particularly the frozen and fresh one. That, that's a good example of myth busting, but it's encouraging mm. a positive behaviour. Like you don't have to have all fresh. Put some frozen broccoli in your freezer as yeah. a backup you know, yeah. and even frozen fruits. You don't have to make it your staple, but nutritionally it's just as good for you. And that's a positive message rather than a negative message. Yeah, absolutely. I've got um I've got one myth I want to throw at you. This is this is on the spot. This is on the spot for Tim. Okay. I didn't prep him for this. So I remember talking to someone um a few years ago who was big into the clean eating trend and she mm-hmm. was um doing sort of like pre-prepared meals so people would buy meals off her and they're healthy yes. and clean. But I remember having a chat to her and we were considering collaborating and then I thought, oh, she's not really kind of on brand for me with the clean eating thing. Um, But she said something like, oh, you cannot absolutely eat vegetables out of a plastic bag, like the pre-washed salads and the pre-chopped veggies. She's like, they're not clean foods, they're bleached. Oh. What would you say to that, Tim? I've never heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Maybe she means that, sorry, bleached as in um, to use as an antibacterial so some, sometimes they might be washed in a very low-level bleach. Potentially, I think that's what you might be getting at, just yes. to remove any surface contaminants. So um, there might be some truth to it, but the level will be very low and it'd be, mm. it's washed out as well. Yeah. So we're talking incredibly low levels. Yeah. And but, it, yeah, people have no issue with bleaching their teeth, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't Go know. Figure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I always thought I actually have never looked into it, but I was thinking it's probably just that there's chlorine in the water that they're washing the vegetables in potentially. That would be it. So probably in the preparation stage before they bag it. 
there might be some level of, of washing just to, yeah. to remove the surface. So there might be some truth to it, but there's, should you be concerned about it? Well, no, you should be concerned if you're not eating any any of those vegetables in the yeah. first place. Yeah. If they're convenient and it means you'll eat them, to me that that trumps any concerns about some microscopic trace of a bit of bleach that might be on there. Yeah, and if you're super concerned, just give them a rinse yourself. And give them a rinse yourself. <laughs> there we go, problem solved. Bleach I love it. Gone. There we go. Thank you for that one. Um, that's definitely one of my most recent pieces of myths that's popped up. So the thing I want to chat to you about next is this idea of the anecdote. And certainly, you know, I've been building a private practice and a business in nutrition. And so the marketing side of seeing what other industry is doing is very based on the anecdote. Mm -hmm. And even when I've learned marketing, even marketers have gone, oh, okay, you need like personal testimonies and you need to like create an emotive story so people want to buy. Why... Why is the anecdote actually not a great sort of evidence base for nutrition, even though we love it and we take it as gospel? So, yeah, I completely agree. We're human beings and we're wired for stories. Yeah. So the the analogy that, that facts tell but stories sell is so true. You know, yeah. that personal connection, that personal story is powerful. But, again, it's only just an N equals one. It's, it's just an, an anecdote. It's just a story. Where they're useful is when they're attached to some research or some evidence, and then you use that to illustrate your example. That's mm. a positive use. Yeah. When you don't have any of the that behind you, if you're just talking about your anecdote, my experience eating this way cured my diabetes or cured my depression, therefore you should do it, is terrible advice because mm. all it is is that one person's experience, which may have nothing to do with the way that changed the diet. It could have been a myriad of other factors that affected that. You've got no way of actually knowing if whatever advice they're saying is responsible for that. Mm. But if there's some good evidence behind it, then it's perfectly fine to say, yes, and here is an example of what happens. And if you go look at the news any night where they do a medical story, you know, some researchers with a big breakthrough with a new medical intervention or a new trial, there'll always be a patient in that study on the news as well talking about their personal experiences. So that's a nice example of how the media do it. Personal story to connect with, but then the nerdy scientists talking about, you know, the, the clinical trial or the research to combine the two. If you only have the story, uh, you really don't know what you're getting. And mm. a lot of the times that story won't be valid for your own personal situation. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of truth too to the fact that people's own recollection of their eating habits is also pretty skewed, isn't it? It's incredibly skewed. So this is yeah. one of the issues with all of our, our big observational research we base all of our, our um, recommendations on. It involves many flawed methods of actually working out what people eat. Because if you ask someone what they eat, they will over-report healthy food and they will under-report un, uh, unhealthy food. Yeah. And that level of mismatch between over- and under-reporting will get wider the more perhaps some um, um, so a disease a person has that the researcher is interested in or the more overweight they are, yeah. so too does that skew. Because we're human beings. It's not a judgment on people. It's just hard to get that data mm. on what someone actually eats. And we try and do the best we can, but it's very difficult to do. Yeah, because yeah, it's sort of unethical to lock someone in a room and just <laughs> throw it is, food at them occasionally. The, the research <laughs> done in, in that area where you actually lock people up in metabolic wards, so to speak, and you monitor all their food and, and exercise – Guess what that shows? It pretty much shows that the biggest dictator of weight loss and weight gain is the amount of calories that you eat, not the macronutrient yeah. content. But then that's an artificial situation. In the real world, <laughs> I've got no idea what how many calories a day I eat. I've got no idea what a portion of this is. No one does yeah. you know, unless you're fanatically monitoring it. And when you start monitoring it, that changes your behaviour anyway. So yeah. 
Oh, I love this stuff. I could talk about it for ages. I think it's so fascinating how we eat. And I often say to clients when I've talked to them over the years for weight management or healthy eating and they report to me this like lovely, great diet. Perfect diet. Yeah, Yeah. but they're not getting results is just very gently being able to explain to them sometimes our intentions don't actually align with our reality and our brain sort of like compartmentalizes, oh, well, I just, I just got takeaway tonight, but that's not normal for me. And then the next day it's, I just did blah, 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 because it's crazy busy and that, but that's not normal. But every day we're deviating from this intention and I'm kind of like, sometimes we just need to be honest with ourselves. <laughs> Otherwise we can't change. And that's hard to do because you're a health professional and people want to please health professionals. They want to please researchers. So that's, yeah, that that's it's just tough. The, the vagaries of dealing with this, with this field. So you have to acknowledge it. It's, it's yeah. called being a human being. You, you, know, you don't judge people for it. It's what we all do. We all add a few centimeters to our height and maybe take a few kilos off our weight. When someone asks us about it, we all do it. Yep. Food is no different. Yeah. hundred percent. That's it for today's episode. Tune in to the final part tomorrow. A big thank you to the Capital Chemist and the Daily Dollop in crowd for their continued support of our show. We couldn't do this without them. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you love what you're hearing, please leave us a review.